funny story. I saw a um a girl in Newtown wearing oh, this is a couple of weeks ago, but wearing a jumper with the letters F B G B F M. F B G B F M. F B G B F M. And I I don't know what that stands for, but it made me realize that the woke zeitgeist is making me hate letters. Like there's particular letters now that I just can't stand. <laughs> Like any of the, like, the the L's, the B's, the G's, B's and G's together, and enough, enough. We're all happy. Everyone can be well, whatever that's they why want. When I saw LP, when I saw LPG on like you know on that <laughs> yeah. truck a few weeks ago, I was like, like LPGBT. <laughs> <laughs> don't get me wrong. I am pro everything they're standing for. I'm just over it. Yeah. I just don't want to hear about. Yeah, it I know. Is that is that it just, completely it just invades your brain space? I'm letterphobic. Uh, there's just yeah. I'm not transphobic I'm not homophobic I'm no. not, none of that stuff I love all of that shit I just don't want to see the letters together anymore I'm over it yeah uh, I know what you mean yeah this is this is, Jer- this is Jeremy's iron <laughs> we are sensitive to uh, to all of our listeners we are we are but, but we do find that letters are increasingly charged <laughs> All right, so here we go. Welcome to Jeremy's Iron, the very last, I should say, Jeremy's Iron, and we'll explain why in just a moment. But my name's Justin Zeltzer, and with me is a man who is legitimately now in isolation, Justin Bobbin. Welcome. Thank you. Um, Good to be here. Yeah, yeah. This is the first show we're actually doing where we're going to be in, uh, well, we're in different locations. I'm, I'm recording in the very beautiful uh, Blue Mountains in isolation, and whereabouts are you? I'm in my workshop in Ultimo, Sydney. Um, yeah. So, look, we're a science podcast. Jeremy's Iron traditionally has been about being an evidence-based podcast. Uh, we look at science and research, and we particularly have a bone to pick with people that propel pseudoscience out into the world. Hence, mm-hmm. we're actually having a bit of a podcast name change, and the new name... Rebrand. A rebrand, if you will. We're going to be called Pseudo is the new podcast name. So for those of you who are subscribers to Jeremy's Iron, never you fear, you can just keep subscribing and the feed will switch over. Just don't be afraid if you see a podcast called Pseudo that pops up in your um, in your podcast feed because that's us. It should merge over fairly seamlessly, I would think. But if you see a combination yeah. of Jeremy's Iron and Pseudo-related pictures and things and... Over the next week or two, it might be a little confusing, but then it'll be all pseudo from there on in. How are you, JB? I'm good, man. How are you? Yeah, yeah I'm doing really well. Um, we're going to be talking about COVID today because that's all everyone wants to fucking talk about, right? Um, but in mm-hmm. particular, what's the, what's the main focus of today, JB? Uh, well, the main focus will be on masks. What do they do? If, if anything, the N95 masks, the P2 masks or whatever. Um, we've yeah. got an interesting piece of research that we've uh, uncovered that happened just over the last four or five days um, where they subjected four people who had the COVID virus. They put them in a room and they tested whether um, various masks on them and whether the uh, virus um, 
was received with without the masks, etc. So we'll see how that mm. panned out. Um, we're also going to talk about um, we're also going to talk about things like economic effects of COVID around the world, particularly the arts, because as we know, the yep. arts are getting hit um, quite hard because there's no more. Um, uh, revenue streams for them in the foreseeable future. Uh, we're gonna yeah. we, we get into some controversial territory, but we're going to talk about whether we think yeah the arts is. And I think it's important to remember that the things that we say are not necessarily deeply thought out. <laughs> some of these things we're working through them on the fly as we're saying them. So uh, yeah, take take what we say with a grain of salt. You know, when it comes to sort of editorial things. Yeah, but we um, we are trying to figure out whether. Um, we're having a conversation about them yeah you know yeah that's and it, it is important to have a conversation about it because the answer isn't clear for all this stuff mm. Mm. Um, and, we and, also, and we're and also we're also open to um feedback on these ideas if people want to write in pl- please do uh we'll have to figure out how they're going to do that <laughs> but um you can get yeah. in t- get in touch through the the usual means of Jeremy's Iron Podcast at gmail.com for the moment until we switch over to pseudo um we also talk we're also going to be talking about how we value life. This this thing called quality adjusted life years, where we mm. actually can put into a uh, numerical equation whether someone who's seventy five with comorbidities, whether their life is worth as much as someone who's say twenty five without any of said comorbidities. Um, we're gonna yeah, very controversial stuff. We're gonna be talking about. Also controversial is someone called David Ike, who's a well. How would you describe David Icke? Uh, professional nut bar. Professional nut bar spewing a whole bunch of pseudoscience around the, yeah. the cause yeah. um, and even the legitimacy of the um, ongoing virus. So we're going to talk about him mm. as well at the very yeah. end. So if you like any of that stuff, join us on the journey. Stay tuned. Join us on the journey of the very last Jeremy's Iron, at least of that name. Uh, yes. It should be a good show, I reckon. Let's do it. So you've got some news for me first before we begin our mask uh, chat. News, Justin. Yeah, yeah. All right. It's some sort of. Well, I wouldn't say it's news, but it was just you know just another, uh, just sort of something we would talk about. Yep. Kind of up our alley. What you got? You know. Um, okay, so we're talking about. Um, I guess it is sort of COVID related because we're talking. About, I was talking to this guy about COVID, and about how it started, and sort of, and sort of some of these weird uh, cultural practices you know, involving animals and uh, sort of, uh, I guess, Eastern medicine, you know, and some sort of uh, probably non-productive beliefs yep. that keep us chasing and rearing and eating and hunting certain animals, which is probably not really particularly useful, mm-hmm. at least scientifically. And one of the things that this guy mentioned was rhino horn, you know, and 
we talked about like you know shark's fin and tiger penis and and rhino horn and how you know you have you know these are large swaths of the world that go and poach rhino horn and elephant horn to make these um you know blade handles and things like that or they grind it up and and eat it Mm -hmm. um and for some people a lot of these practices are related to virility you know so shark's fin and tiger penis and and all this stuff is you know meant to be i guess an aphrodisiac or an, an erectile uh, enhancer. Is it any surprise that and we've it, got fin, horn, penis? Like, it's not. Yeah, like, it's not like, there's, there's not a things, lot of right? like you know pancreas. They haven't. They haven't really thought it too too long and hard about which sort of things on animals are going to be the uh, well, aphrodisiacs, are they? No, just anything that I, looks I think, or sounds like a penis, thought, right? <laughs> Well, I think they have thought long and hard about it. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what they've Good. done. But, uh, yeah, exactly. Why not right? a toe? But what I'm like saying correct. is, like, why not a toe? Why not, like, the nail of something, you know? No, no, no. It's the yeah. horn, it's the fin, and it's the penis. Yeah. Like, the, these are all phallic. It's very, it's very literal, themselves. right? It's, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, sure, yeah. okay, so fine. We do lots of things. There's lots of Eastern medicine, yeah. which uh, has purported claims, and, you know, some of them are fairly vague, right? But just like when a friend of mine was talking about crystals, and I said, you know, close your eyes, hold a crystal next to your head for a headache, or take a Panadol, I guarantee you the Panadol is going to have a more measured response yeah. <laughs> than the crystal. Like, it's not like we don't have things that do this stuff already, and we know they work. So why are you bothering with something which is so nebulously effective, you know? And I was like, it's the same thing with all this virility um, superstition. If you went up to like a tribe where they were hunting African horn, um, rhino horn, or grinding up albino baby, or whatever they're doing, you know. <laughs> yeah, okay. Which is the thing they do as well, right, for its magical powers. Um, and you're like, okay, so you just want, you, you want a firmer erection? Okay, uh, so hold on to, your, hold on to the shaft of your, of your sword handle, which you carve from a rhino horn. Yeah, okay, great. Yeah. Now try Viagra. <laughs> like, we have incredibly potent medicine that yeah, yeah. does exactly that. Like we, surely, surely Viagra is better than a rhino horn for these people. Like could we abolish poaching and like tiger penis catching and all that stuff just by, and this guy I was talking to was like, maybe we could just like try and convince them that, you know, horse hair, uh, you know, it's just keratin. It's basically the same thing as ivory, just in a different form. Mm. You know, it's in strands rather than a solid form. And maybe just, like, mix in a little bit of Viagra powder and start selling that, you know? And just try to, like, hide the medicine into the Eastern medicine and get them, get them like, stewing up or grinding up, like, horsetail, you know, like, uh, which, is, which they can regrow and we can get as much of it as we want to or, like, horse's mane. And make everyone happy. You get your superstition. We get we get to actually give you real uh, pharmacological. <laughs> I'm, I'm liking this. this you is, get this a is, raging heart erection. Yeah. This is science. <laughs> and they'll providing... be like, "Oh my god, this is so much better than the rhino horn I had for the last twenty years." And I paid forty thousand dollars for that rhino horn. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually science like, providing the ethical choice at this point, right? Isn't it? It's like yeah, exactly. Viagra, yes, the ethical choice. Yeah. Exactly, you know, like th- this is like lab-grown uh, tiger penis. <laughs> you know, we have found a way to substitute it. You know, we we can reproduce the powers of the mythical tiger penis in the lab, you but, know, available to you now whenever you want. Yeah, I'll tell you what this represents too, though. It also represents this sort of like th- this bias we have, or this like incessance that we need 
something that something natural is always going to be better than something that's synthetic. Yeah, exactly. if it's come from nature, that it by definition is going to be more effective, better, better for you, less side effects. Yeah, and you yeah. forget that like nature, there's a million things in nature that will kill us outright if we ingest them. Right, like throw, just just go totally. into nature and just choose a couple of mushrooms at random to eat. Um, you're probably not going to be doing too well. And the idea that something could be synthesized under rigorous scientific conditions, perfected. Yeah. Filtered down to so that you're just getting the the exact effect required. Yeah. But all of a sudden, that's the most dangerous thing ever, and you might as well just grind up a whole bunch of stuff that you're not even sure about. I don't want that. Yeah. But I thought you had a headache. I thought you wanted something to get rid of your headache. I don't want that. (laughs) (laughs) I would rather something that fixes more things but less well. Yeah. (laughs) Or has a claim to fix more things. But it's I natural. I would rather That's hope it. that the turmeric works. Yeah, I'd rather, I'd, I would rather take the turmeric because yeah. I think that could help. But, but panel definitely works. You're like, well, I don't want it. <laughs> I just don't want it. Uh, okay. I like how I've also just blurred the lines between like naturopathy and people who would kill tigers to grind up their penises. <laughs> I they're feel the like there is people. a bit of distinction between those two, but no. still. No, they're the same people. Yeah. The same people, people making tinctures yeah. out of the shark fin? I don't think so. I think I think there's some daylight. Nonetheless, yeah. nonetheless, they're both in the realms anyway. of, of the pseudosciences for us, I believe. Yeah, yeah. It's all, that's why I was like, I thought it was a good, good combo for us. Um, no, that was good. And But but there's tons. So we'll get into, obviously, some COVID stuff. Uh, we'll get into some things that... Uh, some pseudoscience that's probably pretty obvious but maybe some pseudoscience that is a bit more subtle well in particular the focus of this episode is going to be on the pseudoscience or at least the very the the very widespread confusion around whether mark masks are effective in the uh, prevention masks masks (laughs) masks 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 Uh, yeah, masks with a mask. You mean like attending attending mosque? <laughs> yes. Uh, so that's what we're going to be looking at in terms of the focus, but we'll have a look at some peripheral issues around COVID as well. Shall we throw to that? Shall we, th- we throw to a bit of a musical sting, then come back with the heart, the meaty center of this show? Yes. All right, let's do that. All right. Uh, we're back, and I might just uh, start this by reiterating that at the beginning of our last episode, we definitely took the whole COVID thing pretty not seriously, if you recall. This is now about a month or two ago we did our last show, and we were taking the piss pretty hard about being in lockdown mm-hmm. in our studio. Yep. <laughs> yeah. We were having a big giggle about it. Meanwhile, now we're in lockdown, and the jokes are very much on us. But uh, And actually, this is our first... Um, uh, remote podcast. Right? Yeah, we are now. Well, we are recording this from uh, two separate locations via satellite, and uh, so that's a far cry from where we were last month. You you won't be able to see my grimace on uh, your elongated anecdotes anymore. You'll have to just presume. No. It. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't uh, make hand gestures to me to tell me to stop leaning on things. <laughs> or... <laughs> Yeah, this might be very. This might be much or, more productive. Or, or like hold the mic close to my face, or push it further away. So none of your miming will uh, will help. Well, it's a bit of an experiment, but I think this is going to pan out yeah. just okay. Um, yeah, everyone else is doing it. Let's let's talk about the masks thing, can we? Can we talk about masks, please? Okay. Um, can we please, please for, for one minute, please, please? Um, 
I'm going to set can this we up. Just by, talk about masks. Well, I'm going to set this up by saying that uh, on an official level worldwide, there is still a lot yeah. of confusion around whether we should be wearing masks outside mm-hmm. of the context of a hospital and being a primary yeah. care worker. Um, you are in a hospital, so this doesn't really apply to you at all. But do uh, the the regular folk, the me and yeah, other listeners, yeah, I wear masks like me, all the time. Yeah, but to go out into the street, to go to Coles, to go to Woolies or whatever, should I be wearing a mask? Now, the World Health Organization says don't bother. Um, they have some official statements saying, look, unless you are catering or catering, if you're looking after someone that might be suspected of having COVID then mm-hmm. it's not actually going to be effective. Um, no. And it's not useful for you to do it. Um, and unfortunately, the CDC, which is the, the Center for Disease Control, if I got that correct, mm-hmm. that's in the States, yeah. they actually say that you should, if possible, be wearing any kind of mask on your face. Um, mm-hmm. Hand, you know, um, cotton, N... N95, P2, whatever you can get your hands on, chuck it on your face. Whatever you got, yeah. Now we Halloween masks. About, what, four or five days ago, there was a piece of research that was done very, very recently on this particular disease. Now, do you want to go through what happened in the piece of research? Well, sure. And I'll I'll, I'll probably start by saying that um, a few days before this came out, um, I was having a chat with a friend of mine who lives in Hong Kong and we were talking about masks and he said, you know, I wear a mask. He, he was telling me that he is wearing a mask when he goes out yep. and he said he knows that the research uh, or the opinion is sort of divided on that but he said, you know, look, there's no downside to wearing the mask and I said, yeah, look, there's no downside to the mask and I said, you know what? It must do something, right? Like, you know, whether it's a cotton mask or a surgical mask, like it doesn't have to be N95. Obviously, N95 is the recommended mask yep. um, because of its filtration size. But I said, yeah, look, it'll it'll do something. Although although probably most of the air you breathe out is going to come out the sides, you know, the path of least resistance. Uh, and I said it may may not save you or someone next to you, but it must have some effect, some percentage decrease in transmission. Sure. So at at this point, sorry, if I could just interrupt. At this point, we're talking about someone who has the virus wearing the mask. Are we talking about? Sure. Yeah. Okay. I said, I said, in the con, I said, the assumption that we're making here is that you may be a carrier for the virus. um, And this will decrease your shedding, your spreading as you shed the virus. Yeah. I said, yeah, look, it might make, it might might make a small difference. But if you're happy to wear it and you're happy that it's not going to be, totally effective yeah why the hell not right yeah you know better safe than sorry that makes sense to me and then and on, like yeah, on a, two on a, days and that's yeah you go on a superficial level it makes sense to just put something in front of your face because anything that's totally. coming out of your mouth surely it's going to at least stop yeah. some of the stuff it makes sense first principles you're like you know stuff come out of your face yeah block your face less stuff you know sure okay so what's, so, the, what's the problem with that well, the problem with that is that, um, you know, not everything that makes sense uh, is actually true, you know. And so there was a, an article published on April 6th, which is, what, only four or five days ago now. Yep. Um, it's actually, um, it was published in the Annals of Internal Medicine. Yep. And it was published by a Korean group, um, Strongman Bay. 
And the article is titled, uh, Effectiveness of Surgical and Cotton Masks in Blocking SARS-CoV-2, which is what we're talking about. This is COVID-19. Yep. Uh, a controlled comparison in four patients. Now, things to note are, um, this is published in the letters section. So I don't think it's been subjected to quite the same scrutiny as a true published uh, experiment. You know? Yeah, and it was also pretty um, small scale, if I recall as well. I'm pretty sure it was only small four, scale. four patients or something. It's only four, it's only four patients. Um, and what we've noticed is that a lot of papers have significantly decreased their barrier to entry um, for COVID-related articles. Which makes sense because um, it would usually take many months, if not half a year to a yeah. year, to actually yeah. set up the study, get all the you know requirements done, your, your um, protocols. Yeah try to submit yeah. it to journals like that there's no way you do that yeah. in under a year usually so um yeah. there's probably so going to be a bit of rough and saying, ready analysis happening in journals at the moment yeah exactly and it's not it's not that they're being greedy or they they're being irresponsible i mean it is in a way irresponsible um but at this point in time i think the the idea is that it's probably better to get as much information out there from these research groups so that we can share and co-opt information as early as possible um and the problem with that is that it's not going to be peer-reviewed or scrutinized to the same extent, right? Yeah. Um, and some of these articles are going to be a little bit half-baked and a little bit young, a little green, uh, not quite ripe. Well, explain. So, and, that, and that's probably mm. the case with this one, you know, in that it's really, uh, I would probably have called this a pilot study. You know, you get four patients who have COVID and you, you can run a quick little proof of concept and then you would scale that up and you might introduce some more variables. Um, but what these guys did was, uh, I think they got four patients uh, who have COVID and what they did was they, they put in the room um, a series of Petri dishes with, um, with a substance that is conducive to growing virus. Uh, so it's like a viral medium. Um, and they got these patients to cough and sputter, and they were to, to have them wearing masks and not wearing masks, and check the viral load both on the petri dishes, but also in their mouth swabs, so they could see what the decrease um, in how much they shed. So you do a, a swab and you look at the concentration of virus and see what they had before they were coughing, and then you can look afterward and say, yeah, they did in fact shed some virus. They have less virus in their mucosa now than they did two minutes ago. Mm -hmm. And then you can look around the room and check your petri dishes and see how much of that landed in these petri dishes. Interesting. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. And so they compared um, uh, no mask, I think, to uh, thin surgical masks, which is what I would wear when I'm operating. Um, which, by the way, we've known for years that they don't do a whole lot in preventing disease transmission in operations. They're there to keep sweat from dripping off your nose. Wow, I didn't, um, see, see, I didn't know that. Keep you from spitting into the wound. They're not about breath or aerosolized bacteria. Like, we've known for a really long time that they probably don't do a whole lot, and now it's almost just more tradition than it is actually true PPE. Well, it's interesting. That the, the analogy I'm thinking of is basically trying to use you know, shark nets to catch tiny tadpoles, right? I mean, that's essentially exactly. what's happening, right? Yeah. It, it looks like it's this yeah. this sort of firm thing in front of your mouth that's catch is going to be catching a lot of stuff, but you're actually unaware of the scale of what's going on, right? Um, yeah, exactly. In in terms of micrometers and all this kind of business, it's got like a big a big shark net, and you're trying to catch all these tadpoles. That ain't going to happen. Anyway. Yeah. Exactly. Continue. So, so what they found was that whether you're wearing a thin surgical mask or a cotton mask, like the reusable ones that people would wear with the, you know, 
they don't seem to offer much or any protection um, against transmission compared to wearing no mask at all. Right. And essentially, that's no surprise because they look at the filtration size. So each of these masks has a, an effective filtration size. So, you know, again, like the, how small the holes are in that shark net. Yep. And they're all bigger than the size of the COVID virus. You know, so even though to us it looks completely solid, you know, um, when it comes to a virus, we're talking fractions. Yeah. We're talking fractions of a micron. Yeah, that's right. A micron is a thousandth of a millimeter, mm. right? So we're talking these things are less than a thousandth of the width of a millimeter. Um, and they're actually much smaller than the, um, the weaving. The, the netting of, of, that, any, yeah. of, any of, these, of mm. these fabrics. So they go, they, they don't see it at all. They just go right through as if it's not there at all. Well, I found you know? what I found interesting from it um, was that it's like it's like it's like saying to go back to your shark net analogy. Yeah. You think, oh well, we we got all these minnows, you know. Um, sure, we will put the net up. Look, the net's something. I can see the net. Like it must do something to stop the minnows from going through. And if you think of it that way, you're like, well, of course it wouldn't. You can put up the longest shark net you want, and the minnows will pass through as if it's not there at all, right? Yeah. And it's exactly the same with COVID. I mean, as much as we think it's a real thing and we're doing something, and it makes sense that something is better than nothing, not necessarily. Well, In the case of nets and sizes of filtration, hmm. uh, something can be just as effective as nothing. Well, how about this? Because the, the paper then, this is the part that I found quite interesting, and I didn't quite know how to explain it. But when they swabbed the face masks themselves after they've actually been used, because they wanted to see whether mm -hmm. some of the COVID was actually um, ending up on the face mask, they found no evidence of it on the inside, but plenty of it on the outside of the mask. How does that work? Did you read that bit? Mm. I, was, I did read that, but I, I did, did they find nothing on the? I thought they found more on the outside than on the inside. No, it, it said not not um, in the actual results. It said not um, none registered or something like that. I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't get wrap my head around that at all. Anyway, aside, I think that their, their their theory was that um, I think the the, aeros the aerosols actually travel through the mask. That's how they end up on the outside, yeah. partially. You know, um, I guess when you when you breathe in, you're breathing. Um, they breathe back onto the outside of the mask, oh. and also when you when you breathe out, the air that goes around the uh, free edges of the mask, where there's you know through the corners, um, you get eddies of turbulence, which brings it back around to the front. You know, so it gets caught in these sort of this um, turbulent flow of air, which brings it back to the front. Mm. Um, but again, this is a uh, not many patients involved. It's a not a particularly rigorous study. No, they just so there's a lot of questions. They had that four patients. And and I think there was there was four patients of um, varying ages. I think there was someone who was like 35, someone who was sort of 70, and someone who was 58, yeah. etc. Um, yeah. So I think look, I think at the moment, I think it's interesting. Um, I think that there's enough going on with this article to suggest that. There's just not a lot of point wearing one of those masks um, if you have it. Well, but the good news is that N95 masks are probably a lot better. They give you better seal. They got a finer filtration size. Um, they are most probably significantly more effective at at blocking the virus from 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 going through. Um, so there is a mask out there. There's an option out there if you have COVID and you don't want to pass it on to people. Um, you just have to wear the right mask. But basically, if you're not wearing the right mask, probably don't waste your time hunting them down, looking for them, and take them away from surgeons who just also want to pretend 
that they want to stop <laughs> viruses <laughs> yeah, and right. bacteria. Let us pretend we're making a difference. Oh, you know? man. It's, it's, it's yeah. interesting. But here's the one thing that the, the study won't have covered, which I do think probably plays into this. If you're wearing a mask, if I was wearing a mask, I would definitely be much less likely to touch my face because I'd just be aware of this That's mask, true. right? And yeah. the fact that I can't get my fingers anywhere near my mouth while I've got a mask on, surely that's an yeah. additional factor that they're not really controlling for in assessing whether yeah. so there's masks a, are useful yeah, or not. Yeah, you're right? right. There's the behavioral component, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Mm, that's quite interesting. Uh, there'd be interesting research too, I hope, that happens around... Oh, see, I don't quite know how you do it, but I'd be curious to see whether gloves helps anyone because my gut feeling on gloves is it's actually doing you more harm than good to wear gloves um, considering you just do all the stuff with gloves that you do with your normal hands anyway and you don't wash the gloves on your hands when you've got them on your hands. Um, you mean like when you go to a restaurant and someone's you know wearing gloves but then they also go to the till and handle all the money and they pass you back the money with the gloves on that's right it's and a, then go back to making the food again exactly the same and principle you're like, oh, yeah. you, you just you just have rubber hands now that's, that's right. all this yeah. is rubber hands that you <laughs> don't dirty wash. rubber hands yeah yeah because it's not yeah. it's not like you're going to just go to the sink and like wash your hand your gloves, your gloves. in your exactly. hand you know, yeah. it's not going to happen um particularly no. people who would be reusing gloves that'd be terrible um yeah although would you be as likely to put your finger in your mouth if you're wearing gloves probably not that's probably true. Pro- probably not, but at the end of the day... So there's, a, there's again, going to be a behavioral component to it. I would sc- I'd scratch my fa- I'd probably scratch my face, though. I wouldn't put my finger in my mouth, that's true. Um, you wouldn't pick your nose. <laughs> well, no, I probably wouldn't put, pick my nose, you're right. You would not. No, you wouldn't. No. Uh, I probably wouldn't scratch my like, eye. Yeah, okay, so maybe there's a, there's a small, small improvement. Gloves the are the masks regions. of the hands. Right? Yeah. But I do think that it would prevent you... You would wash your hands much less wearing gloves than you would not, right? Um, oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Anyway, so this is an interesting anyway. study. And we'll be, we, uh, well, presumably we'll be seeing a few more of these over the course of the next sort of mm-hmm. half year, nine months, etc. Yeah. Um, but this is, and we might be, uh, we might look, and we may be changing our advice about this as we get more more data, right? Like, if, if we get a better conducted twenty person study or hundred person study um, that actually compared N95 to cotton masks to surgical masks, um, and gave a better theory about where the viral load goes, mm. what it what it sticks to, what it can pass through. I mean, I think that this is going to be an ever changing uh, field. Yeah, but the official Jer- so stay tuned. The official Jeremy Zion, aka pseudo advice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's going to sound really bad. The official pseudo advice for pseudo wearing advice. masks. No, real advice about pseudoscience. Yeah, is to not wear masks. Is that what we're saying? Is that what we're telling people? Don't wear masks. Yeah, um, just chill out. But if Don't you want to wear something on your face that's going to stop you, pre- you know, touching your mouth or your eyes or anything like that, just wear a paper bag and cut out the holes. Just you know, it's easy. Done. Yeah. 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 And then we don't have to see your ugly face. <laughs> Solved. <laughs> Numerous problems. Solved in one. Yeah. From your friends yeah. and Jeremy's iron. Yeah. Um, you got you got you must have some other stuff to talk about. Uh nope. <laughs> Not in terms no? of look, the, the funny stuff I think about uh, funny is a is a terrible word to use, but uh, COVID experts, aka everyone you know. 
Um, mm-hmm. It's sta- it's starting yeah. to irk me just a little bit that everyone seems to be so armchair sure. epidemiologists. Yeah, that's right. Very much the yeah. epidemiologists now. They're biologists. They're um, economists. They're industrial yeah. relations experts. Everyone seems to be yeah. getting in the grill of governments, up in yeah. arms about and the no way they're is- handling things. Um, yeah, and no one is happy with what anybody is doing. That's right. But, you know? but the, the, the thing that I think is the most interesting is that the countries that seem to be doing the best, with the probably mild exception of Australia, because we're doing pretty well, it seems, but um, the mm-hmm. countries that seem to clamp down and do the best um, uh, flattening of the curves are countries that have the most faith, whether that's enforced or not, faith in their government systems, right? Mm-hmm. And there's terrible things that come out of that, like surveillance like hectic surveillance stuff, privacy just through yeah. the floor. Um, like the, the, the stuff that you probably wouldn't really want to embrace as a sort of mature westernized um, economy. But at the same time, that belief and that trust in government is providing them with this incredible ability just to have a single source of information yeah. that's digested and acted upon by people in a very you know, understandable way. And they, and they do a, get really and a good skeptical results out of that. person, a, a skeptic, or rather not really a skeptic, but a, uh, a conspiracy theorist might suggest that this whole thing was a strategy just to get the public more open to the idea of increased government surveillance and intrusion yeah. in people's lives, just like 9/11 was. Yeah, well, this is the thing with the Patriot Act. You know, <laughs> this would be like the new Pandemic Act. You know, uh, we're, we're going to be monitoring your your temperature and and uh, installing face recognition cameras around the city for your protection. Well, it's, now, it's... I'm not saying that, but you can imagine someone who would say that, right? That's right. I mean, there's a conspiratorial angle to it, but the result of yeah. COVID will nonetheless be something like that because the most, you know, we, we have a conservative government here in Australia at the moment and the policies they've just put in place over the last sort of two, three weeks have been incredibly socialist and people are applauding it at the moment, including people from the conservative sects of society. They're saying, you know, this is what we have to Actually, do. Actually, I wanted... Um, it's, it's basically like... Mm-hmm. It's going it's to be an interesting um, post-mortem because there are more progressive parties that now just have nowhere to go, such as the Labour Party, right? Like, I, I think this yeah. particular, you know, catastrophe, the COVID catastrophe in, in its entirety, is going to squeeze out the Labour Party such that there's no way that they're going to be able to get in power for now, you know, five, ten years because through necessity, the Liberal Party, which is our more conservative government, mm-hmm. um, has given been given a green light to go pretty socialist with a few things that they're going to find very yeah. difficult to rail back in, such as free childcare. That's coming in and, yeah. and you try taking yeah. that away from people when it's away. been free. So, the Labour Party is going to be sitting there going like, well, what, they're taking all our policies basically <laughs> what what could we really do besides become the new greens party essentially so yeah we're, no, we're becoming socialists it's going to become that, a lot people are going to be a lot less precious about their privacy because they just realize yeah. that the, the more you know the more precious they are the, the less ability they have to actually do things like case monitoring um which is a crucial ingredient of uh, the Australian response as well. We've been doing quite well at um, following up on cases and stuff, um, but it becomes a pretty difficult to do if you, uh, you know, p- 
put roadblocks in the way of any intrusion into your life from the government at all, you know? So, yeah. Hmm. Now, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, which kind of touches on this area, is so we've had this huge stimulus package from the government, a bit of a safety net that they've, uh, that they've initiated. Um, hasn't begun yet. I don't think anyone's actually gotten any money out of it yet. It's still early days. But the idea is that they have this, their job keeper packages yep. um, where I think people are getting upwards of $750 a week. That's the employers um, are getting that, by the way. Yep. Yep. Um, and there's this movement now for people who are freelance, uh, freelance free, free agents, um, creatives, you know, who are saying, well, what about us? Like, you know, we... Uh, now, sure, we didn't have a contract and we didn't have a job and a base salary that we expect and that we've grown accustomed to. But um, in times of pandemic where everyone's on quarantine, people aren't going to be consuming the things they normally do, which means that they aren't going to be going to the theater. They won't be reading magazines. Um, like, I can't go out and cover things and write articles, which I can then sell to a paper yep. or to a website. Um, what, do, what happens to us, you know? And they're kind of saying we deserve to be involved in this um, in this sort of safety net as well. Yep. And I've got some reservations about that. And what do you think about the roles of creatives? Uh, sort of, you know, this. You're putting me in a tricky casual spot. Casual workers. Because I've got uh, a lot of friends in those positions, and there's a part of me. Sure, I'm sure. There's a part of me that doesn't want to reveal my true thoughts about all this stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But I think I'm with you in the having reservations about throwing money at this point in time at, at everybody at everybody um i mean yeah. to keep them alive to keep people like alive and you, you got to have a a safety net 100 percent um yeah but i think what's going to happen especially in, in the initial recovery phases is that we can't as a society sort of be you know it, 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 we can't ex exhibit this largesse in all the fields that we once did we actually have to rein things in a bit and just say all right we need to build shit back together and we can't really just throw money at stuff that as much as it does improve our lives the way you know our our you know uh, cultural satisfaction what we're consuming well, what we're doing now is we're, we're getting dangerously close to um experimenting with a universal basic income aren't we well i've got no problem i've got no problem with universal basic income by the way not neither neither do i in principle i mean we haven't seen it work we haven't seen it really be experimented with yet it's really just been an idea and we've, we've almost kind of walked right into um unwittingly into a ubi experiment you know as we're handing out um, reasonable cash to a huge amount of people, right? Which, Untested. Which is which is fine. I actually am. I'm without having researched super super deeply into it. I had a look into it a few years ago when it first became a sort of yeah. thing. And I remember thinking, this this looks yeah. like the way of the future. I'm sure this is where we're going to go. So I, I am at least yeah. nominally very pro um, UBI, but I'm not sure I'm pro. Let's subsidize the arts now. Yeah. Um, it, I mean. Just just because, as much as we want all these thriving industries and stuff post-COVID, um, mm. I think there are more immediate necessities than having a thriving, you know, um, music scene and stuff. Like, uh, as much as that's a wonderful thing for a mature society to have, and me talking yeah. as a as a musician myself and as an ex-musician, um, well, once a musician, always a musician, but um, as an ex-playing touring musician i'm kind of saying this against my own breed here but um uh, yeah i'm just I, i'm with you I, i'm not fully 
to one side or the other, but I just do have this reservation that I think we're going to need to rebuild stuff from the ground up rather than yeah. touch the top of the pyramid right now, which is all this, the, the warm and fuzzies of having cultural mm. stimulation and all this kind of stuff. Like, yeah, okay. I, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, saying... I, I'm with you. I'm with, look, I'm with you on that. Yeah. And I think that my, where my reservations come from is that at some point, some people chose to have careers that are very dangerous. They're living on the edge financially and they're high risk, right? High, they can be high reward, but they are high risk, even in uh, economically stable times. And many creatives, freelancers, artists, writers, barely survive as it is. And they often have to have second jobs to support themselves yeah. with that, right? Um, and now to be like, oh, I'm not working because of COVID. It's like, well, a lot of people weren't working two months ago just because it's hard for to work in that field anyway, yeah. you know? Yeah. And and now you so suddenly now you want stable income week to week like you didn't really care about that last year, you know, or your entire life. You deliberately chose to live outside of the mean in that in that way. Mm. Um, and I, I know it sounds a bit like a bit uppity or a bit um, kind of fist wavy, you know, but there is a certain degree of um, risk and reward, I think, you know, with the whole thing. Yeah, and, and look, if if you tailor in concepts of UBI into the equation there, then I, I feel less like a dickhead in saying all this stuff because it's like, no, no, no. Like, I, yeah. everyone deserves the right to be able to, to live to a, yeah. to a basic level, like to actually survive and, you know, have a, a significant amount of joy, joy in their life, right? Um, mm. And the argument against what we've just been saying here is that the arts do provide... A lot of benefit to society. Um, oh, tremendous benefits in terms of people's, you know, raison d'être, etc. Right? You know, people get out of bed in the morning yeah. because they want to participate in a in a very um, engaged, culturally aware society. Um, and so, if you mm. cut out the arts altogether, we're not we're going to conceivably we could become very drone like, and we're just there to yeah. survive and make money and make children and and blah blah blah. But I, I think yeah. it, it, certainly in the short term, the focus needs to be on all that boring stuff. Um, yeah. In preference, but also but part of what I'm saying is also that you know we don't. I'm not saying these people can't have any money. You know, we we have we still have you know the basic Centrelink packages that still exist, right? And which are still open to anybody. Yep. Um, they're just maybe not as much as people who were already on contract with certain salaries and and all that stuff. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And with so it's it's not to say that they're out out in the dark, you know. Um, and many people probably were already on satellite to some extent, you know. Um, it's it's very difficult, and it's very we start getting it's you start splitting hairs and getting very nuanced about what it means to have a job and the differences between a contract um, and being freelance, you know. Hmm. What what is there a difference in terms of deservance for something, you know, or or you know they both pay taxes when they when they made money and. Is one more or less entitled to to, to government subsidy? I, not, not for us to say. Well, I guess the good the good thing about having a very market based um, salary is that if you're not really providing benefit to other people, you're not going to continue to get paid because someone's losing money on you, right? But I guess in, yeah. in the art space, which is certainly at this point, it's it's people are getting paid purely. Um, What's the word? Um, just through 
want and desire and desire for things right like if i if i make a piece of um music and some people might people are going to be streaming it at this point but people can come to my gigs and pay, yeah. pay to pay to see me play because they just want to right there's um yeah there's a bit of a difference there and particularly if you're asking for subsidies for someone who might be sitting in a room making music and you know yeah there is exactly that's what i'm saying it gets very gray when yeah. it's like you can you can be creating something that no one wants and no one necessarily wants it any less or more now than they did six months ago yeah you know um if, if you if you're creating something that's not marketable that doesn't mean you're necessarily entitled to to the same package as someone who is going to an office and contributing to the economy in a way that is measurable at least not necessarily better but at least measurable but know? here's the thing all the all um, the great works of art require a, a huge slice of self-indulgence right like you need to afford people the ability yes. to to indulge in themselves to create some of these incredible pieces of art right like yeah if you don't support artists that are trying you'll never get the artists that succeed right i mean is, is yeah. that logic incorrect so so it's true, and that's why historically a lot of the patrons of the arts have been smaller private entities, not necessarily the government. Mm. You know, it's been rich people, it's been the church for a lot of it. You know, um, and governments to some extent in terms of building government projects. You know, but that's more artisan work. You know, craftsman work rather than, um, and they they work for guilds, and and those people are like those like people who are in construction and tradies now. They're still working. Like, trade hasn't stopped, you know. Mm. Uh, tradesmen or, back in the day, artisans who were, you know, um, masons and who, all the guys that built those beautiful churches and government buildings were employed, you know, contractually, uh, largely. Um, but it's the artists, the true artists who work unto themselves, which would be freelance and um, would be uh, at the whim of their patrons, mm. not of the government and not of necessarily subsidies, I don't think, ever. You know, it's, it comes down to, it's a real meritocracy, whether the quality of your work picks a rich person's interest. And that's kind of how it's always been, you know. Mm. So, I don't know. It's, hard. It's, a, it's a really, really hard one, you know. Um, it kind of almost... I don't it, necessarily want an art world where we have everyone being supported just because they want to do it, you know, and supported to the hilt to create their work. I think you have to have, I think art has to be a meritocracy, where the best survive and the rest figure out they should do something else, you know? Mm. Um, you have to have, because you have to have that unwavering passion and gusto, and it can't be a comfortable situation for people, you know? Um, yeah. That's what I think. Yeah, I'm with you. It actually, you know what? It, it, it can, it almost falls in the same categories. What's about to happen to um, uh, support or aid to other countries? Because. There is as much as it's if the COVID nineteen is affecting Europe and America. Um, I reckon in the next sort of three or four weeks, it's going to be insane in some countries like Indonesia and India, um, a few other countries of, of that ilk, and it's going to be interesting to see how um, I guess the Western countries respond to see whether we, you know can offer slender amounts of aid given that we, we're all now so, such, so focused on the financial health of our own countries. Um, how much can we afford to 
assist other countries through what are going to be much greater tragedies that they're experiencing than we have here. So well, it depends, though. It, it depends on on how badly they're affected. Now, some will be very badly affected, but it depends on where the money comes from trade, whether the money is domestic, to what extent they've experienced economic lockdowns like we have. You know, if, if some countries have decided, smaller countries, that they can't afford to go into lockdown to shut their factories. Which countries are that? Who's, who's done that? As far as I'm aware, most countries have just gone, nah, we've we got to lock down. I would have thought that I maybe... I know enough. Yeah. Well, China is China's off. China's their factories are largely up and running right now without any issue, you know. Mm. Um, so I'm sure there are countries that have continued production of whatever they do, either domestically or for export, you know. Um, so what are you going to do about that? You know, some people, and then you have a whole swath of subsistence farmers who might be living largely um, non-trade supported mm. uh, economies, and they're going to be fine. Because they're gonna, things will keep on growing, and they'll keep on eating what they're growing, you know. Mm. So I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't know what the effect is going to be on some of these countries, and if it's going to affect larger developed countries more because of how we operate and and the, and the con- lack of control that we have. Yeah. You know? Well, look, I've, anyway. I've said this numerous times, but if you can ignore the uh, the death and misery and just general fuckery of the whole thing, this is an interesting time to be alive right now. And this, this is, mm. you know, from a sense of feeling like you're being part of history there's there's nothing comes close to to this i would say 9-11 is going to pale in, into um, insignificance i reckon no, disres- no disrespect to yeah. those affected by 9-11 but still like this is going to be just yeah, yeah. You know, insane i was uh i went to my local restaurant around the corner from my place last night for dinner and i was chatting to the owner uh who's now only open you know three or four nights a week um for take for takeaway for, for takeaway yeah, yeah. And I asked him how he was doing. He said, you know, everyone's in the same boat. So he's basically no worse than the rest of hospitality. And he just thinks it's important to, you know, just keep on going and keep the restaurant open just so that people don't forget about him. So the employees don't forget how to be part of that family, you know, and so they don't, you know, he's like, I'm still paying them. (laughs) Got to, you know, got to keep everyone kind of moving forward a little bit. And then I made the comment, uh, I must have made the comment. I made a couple jokes about this being fake news. I think I've told you this. Now, what I mean by when I say this is fake news is I think we'll have to wait and see what the final numbers are. Um, I'm not I'm not a, a COVID denial, denialist, you know, but I do think it'll be really interesting when we see what the true numbers show with regards to infection rates and death rates and, and those kinds of things. You know, I think we're it's really hard to see from the middle, in the eye of the storm, what's really happening. And uh I suspect that when it's all said and done, it's not going to be quite as dire on the other end of this when we look backwards. Um, well, well, not to say that it, not to say that it's not real, and I said I do think it's a real virus, and I do think that it is worse than the flu. I don't think there's any question about that right now, but the question of how much worse it is than the flu and how much worse it is than other um, viruses, we're not going to know until we can look back and, and really kind of crunch the numbers and we get better tests and we can test everybody. Well, I feel like I just I feel like I disagree with it, you on on that point straight up because I think we already know how without the measures that we're putting in place, the measures that are mm-hmm. absolutely crushing people financially across the world, this thing would have, yeah. this thing would go insane, right? Like we you have to incorporate uh, yeah, but right now, but right now I'm not necessarily talking about about that, but we will get better numbers about um 
we'll be able to look at immunity status, so we'll be able to find out down the track how many people actually had it, and we'll be getting a better sense of who died and when. Well, the mortality we'll figures, I would, I, would think, I would think the mortality figures are pretty reliable. The, in, the infection rates very much differ between countries, given the amount that we're testing, but mortality yeah. should be pretty good. Um, so we already know that more than 100,000 people worldwide have died from this. Um, we do we do know that, um, again I don't know right now uh, how many people are being tested post mortem for whether how much of it was coronavirus I'm not saying that I deny I'm I'm assuming that everyone that we've marked as being a coronavirus death likely is I'm no, not 100%. denying that but I also I also don't know what the testing protocols are for those people who died of respiratory symptoms I don't know that the fi- look necessarily the, the for final sure. thing I, yeah. but but uh, I think that our we will have a much better idea of how many people actually had the virus, you know, in six months, a year than we do right now, because right now we have uh, we have very few tests going around. You know, our testing is uh, even in the best countries is still not complete. Mm. You know, and so we don't really have a great sense of what the true infection rate is. And until we have that, we're not going to know what the mortality rate is. We just won't. You know? Well, the other thing but, too is 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 but, mortality the best way of measuring the effect of the virus on society um because i think this is this is kind of like white elephant white elephant no that's definitely the wrong expression just 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 an elephant in the room um which is yeah to to compare the deaths that occurred say in 9-11 to the amount of deaths that are now Mm -hmm. occurring due to covid misses one important element which is very very tough to talk about um, and it incorporates this statistical measure called quality. Um, what's it called? It's called, uh, yeah, no, no, quality adjusted life years. Quali, Q A L Y. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Quali. Yep. So the deaths that are being experienced now are largely, although not exclusively, people in their seventies and eighties and beyond. Um, mm-hmm. Now it's it's very distasteful to say but you just have to accept the fact that people who are dying in their 70s and 80s it's just less tragic than someone dying in their 20s and 30s um and such that 9-11 when you fly two planes into a couple of buildings and it kills the whole cross section of society and three thousand of those people is just going to be not even not a cross section it's it's a it's a younger skewed Uh, It's hard to say this, but if you don't say this, you actually are at risk of making very incorrect decisions about how to deal with some things, like who to give, who to give, um, uh, uh, what's it called, the um, ventilators to, and all this kind of stuff. You need to be able to say that to be able to make rational decisions to say that young people's lives are worth more than old people's lives, and that's a tough thing to say out loud. But you have to, you have to just say that. and so there's this thing yeah. called quality adjusted life years where you'd be able to see, all right, how much life in terms of years of life did we lose? And also how much quality adjustment do we need to make as well? Because not only are there people that are losing their lives in their 70s and 80s, but people in their 20s, even like young kids are losing their futures at this point, right? Um, yeah. And potentially their lives from, yeah. from in, particularly in countries that aren't, in the, the quote-unquote Western world, um, developing countries yeah. are going to be experiencing a lot of deaths due to COVID 
in the younger age groups, not because the virus gets them, but because of the economic effects. And so these all have to be included into, um, yeah, the 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 tally of it what's does. happening with the virus. And those and those decisions and those decisions also have to be made into resource allocation in terms of who gets these ventilators, which people are saying people are having to make these horrible choices. Well, in some ways, it's not quite that difficult. Um, you know, the, the numbers right now, if you are put on a ventilator, um, it's the, it's only about 20% survival for people who are going on to ventilators. What? With really? COVID. Partially because they're so old. So we're going up, at, we're all, we're going up in arms about how many ventilators we have. Well, most people who go on the ventilator are going to die anyway, you know? So it's not like these ventilators are a silver bullet for people who are at the end. Like once you're, and they don't know if it's because once you need a ventilator, you're so far gone that they just can't bring you back. The damage mm. is done. Or we'd also there's a theory that the ventilators themselves are either the way they're being used or there's just that that ventilation technique is actually doing more harm than good. That we're not necessarily we haven't figured out what the best thing to do is for people who've reached that it's stage. It's actually called confounded um, by indication, by the way. That's the official term as to why we would be able to find it very uh, difficult to tease out the effect of ventilators on survival. Yeah. Well, that's that's exactly what it is. And so everyone's flipping out. We need ventilators. We need ventilators. Well. Most people who get put on the ventilator aren't going to survive. And the people who are in their 80s are obviously going to survive less than someone in their 50s and survive less than someone in their 30s. So if you can remove those 80% of people who are going to die, you can probably, you know, you can probably easily eliminate a certain percentage of people that probably won't make much use of them. Well, suddenly the, the, the demand for the ventilators drops precipitously, mm. you know. Um, so there are a lot of considerations like that that are, are uncomfortable to make if you um, if you value life equally. But when you start making these quality adjusted decisions, I think that suddenly some of those choices do become a bit easier, at least. Well, you know? e easier um, to make in terms of the, the the rationality of what you're going to be doing, but but probably yeah. very difficult to make emotionally and, and on on one psychology yeah. as the and, um, and it is. And the other thing that's going to be teased out. Um, which I think would be, it'd take about a year or two to tease out the data. Um, but we're going to need to look back and not just see what the virus is doing now in terms of who it's killing um, and to work out what the mortality rate is. But we need to work out what the, the mortality, the COVID-related mortality delta is, I think is what I'll call it, right? Which is looking back at, the, at this period of a year, say, or whatever period we determined COVID was running rampant, how many people would normally die in that period of all diseases, you know, adjusted, mm. whether it's coronary disease or of cancer or of just natural causes in old age uh, or of flu or of other infections, yeah. right? Those are all going to be things that kill people every single mm. season and all the time. We have tens of thousands a day are dying of these problems. Um, and again, not to belittle the fact that COVID will be contributing to these deaths, but how many people who are dying of COVID because they're old, uh, have, like people have said, a combination of three to four pre-existing um, diseases, so heart disease, respiratory failure, things like that, which will already put them at a high risk of contracting and dying of COVID and not doing well on a ventilator. How many of those people would have either, A, died of their disease in and of itself in the next six months to a year? Um, how many people would have died um, from the next thing? So, say, flu coming this winter, you know? So fine, we've saved you know ten thousand people or whatever in the country from dying of COVID, 
but those people are just as much a risk of dying of the flu every year because the flu kills lots of people who are feeble mm. as well mm. and old. Um, and so are we just displacing or taking people who have died of one problem and putting them into the COVID column now? Are we losing them maybe six months or a few months earlier than we would have well, normally? Yeah. And I don't know what those numbers are, and I'm not saying that it's going to be significant, but it may be significant. And we might, may look back and see what are, the, what are the, the cumulative adjusted spikes for deaths, and are we seeing a big difference relative to any other given year? And I think that'll be really interesting to see what the actual effect of COVID was versus just background mortality. The only problem with that is um, that you won't see the effect, the theoretical effect of COVID running rampant you'll see the effect of covid plus all of the measures we're putting in place to control it right so so you might say oh it wasn't that bad but that might only be because we've dealt with it right like so yeah but we might also be able to tease out some of that control for that given some countries that had different protocols maybe less stringent protocols versus there's gonna be this big natural experiment which we won't have to be looking at global numbers but we might be looking at subpopulations and trying to control for some of these control variables Mm -hmm. Um, I, th- I think that'll be, basically, it's going to be a stati- statistician's wet dream um, in the next year or two as this data gets pooled. Um, yeah. And again, not to say that I believe this stuff necessarily or that I, I'm going to diminish the power and the effect and the devastation of this virus, but I'm certainly open to the fact that this is um, a really complicated thing and that the ultimate effect, both that's medical, economic, and everything in between, we're not truly going to know the effect of it um, for some time. Well, I think that probably sums up uh, our stance on it. So why don't we, we, we can call it there, I reckon. Except, except, except one more thing, that the reason I mentioned that story about calling it fake news was just to say, as I talked to this restaurateur and said, yeah, yeah, that's something, it's fake news, his eyes widened and he looked at me and said, that's what you think too? And he said, he says, oh, mate, he said, I've been looking for someone to talk to about this. He says, I didn't know. He says, I'm so glad you said that. And he said, you really think so? And I said, well, let me, let me clarify what I mean by fake news. I think it's a real thing and it's, you know, it's all this, but we don't necessarily know uh, the true weight of it you know, at the moment and you know, all this kind of stuff. And he said, do you know David Icke? Have you seen his latest video? And I was like, I think I know David Icke. And you might remember David Sounds Icke familiar. does because he is yeah, Mark Silvers, our friend, uh, friend of the pod, is a huge fan of his. Um, he's most famous for his conspiracy of the lizard Illuminati and the Saturn moon nice, axis. Nice, nice. Yes, I'm aware. I'm aware. Right? Right. So David Icke obviously has weighed in on this. And he thinks that um, obviously it's not real. It's not just that it's not devastating or that it's not significant. He believes that this is uh, quite clearly um, a conspiracy and that it's not actually a virus. We have no evidence that it's a virus and that whatever it is, is probably related to um, 5G radio waves. Oh, my fucking God. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. And so my friend is like, I want you to watch a video. And he said, I'd be really interested to hear what you think just medically. You know, he said, I, I, said, I find it quite interesting. Um, and I was like, okay, well, I know right now I'm not going to find it interesting. <laughs> but I'll at least watch it and see what he says. And I couldn't get past the first five minutes of the 25-minute video where he's just ranting into a webcam um, with just... okay. Talking total yeah. nonsense. And he's got tons of, obviously, like everything else, right? He has tons and tons of fans, you know, uh, and Well, supporters. guess what? You, YouTube and has banned all of his videos, by the way. Did you know that? I know. Because, exactly. Because of misinformation. Because he's saying stuff that is just total smack, right? Well, he says there's a link between um, 5G and the health crisis, as you said. And, and, and um, YouTube yeah. has now banned 
any video that links um, 5G to the coronavirus, which itself is a really interesting move. And dude, of course, why wouldn't YouTube ban that? Because 5G is about telecommunication. How do people watch <laughs> YouTube? On their phones, yeah, dude. This so is all part of it. Of course they're going to block that. Of course they're going to block that. You know? They're in bed with Zoom. Who do you think started this whole thing? So <laughs> this is all about telecommunications, man. But see, that's the thing. It's like um, if, we, if we were of a society full of David Ikers, we'd be fucked, right? Like yeah. the, the level of the totally. level of distrust. There's only one thing worse than a just incessant trust in government, and that's an incessant distrust yeah. in government. I think, right? Like on some level, you yeah. have to accept yeah. that there are people that are probably trying to do the right thing. People have spent their careers in public health, informing government and stuff, and yeah, and yeah. like to be a conspiratorial person yeah. to the extent that you, you but pe and people love for some reason people support the idea of someone who is um doesn't have a voice right so he talks about people who don't have a voice now some people don't have a voice because they don't have a platform for their voice right but what people like david ike um sort of capitalize on is confounding that lack of a voice with people who lack a voice because what they're saying is total nonsense right and they've been denied a voice in spheres where evidence is a prerequisite mm. you know so he talks about uh, so when he talks about like his modifications to his theories about um world war ii and history with his lizard people and his sort of uh, vaguely anti-semitic sentiments and that you know he says things like a small subset of jews orchestrated the holocaust <laughs> you know things like that and he says you know uh we're living in a sort of neo-totalitarian orwellian world when people who have their own versions of history can't speak it's like, well, you need to have evidence to be able to speak in certain forms. If you want to be published in textbooks and talk to kids at schools, in principle, you need to have some stuff. And when you talked about, when he's talking about COVID things, you know, he said there was a, just like people who are climate change deniers, he says, you know, there, there, is a, there is a subset of scientists and doctors who are being denied the right uh, to be published and to speak in these forums. And so, well, they're being denied their right because they're not saying things that are based in fact <laughs> or research or yeah, evidence, this is, this is, you know? And that is totally appropriate. They shouldn't peer, be given peer review, the result of, to publish the their result data. The result of peer review isn't always yeah. acceptance, right? That's the whole point. Sometimes you're denied. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's, they, they actually are as much a party to that process as anybody else, but only stuff gets through that's been peer reviewed. <laughs> Their stuff was peer yeah. denied, <laughs> you know? So he's like, they're not being given the chance to speak. Well, that's exactly why they shouldn't be allowed. That's why we don't well, want to hear the what interesting thing. It says, <laughs> that's exactly the Mr. reason. Mr. Right? Ike also claimed that a coronavirus vaccine, when one's developed, would include nanotechnology yeah. microchips that would allow humans to be controlled. He added that Bill Gates, who's yeah. helping fund COVID-19 vaccine research, should be jailed. His views went unchallenged for much of the two and a half hour show that he was interviewed on. So yeah, look. It, it, yeah. Oh, he's a total nutshot. And he said things like, you know, we don't even... He, said, he started the talk by saying, um, I mean, there's so much misinformation, right? That what you do is you build a theory, and we've seen this before with other things, of course, which is that you, you build your thesis upon a platform of, um, of axioms, you know? But the axioms that he presents to the uneducated audience um, or uninformed audience are not accurate. So sometimes a theory might sound vaguely plausible, if you assume that what, the, what he gives you as foundation are true. Mm. But what he's giving as foundation, at least in the video I saw, is absolutely not true. So 
and you don't necessarily think about uh, challenging the axioms. You start challenging what his theory is based on what he, uh, the foundational information. It's, it's, it's very religious, but isn't it, he, really? His trick, it's a, the, sleight of, the, the sleight of hand, is that everything he tells you is a lie. You know? And so, for example, he said that, did you know that all of this COVID stuff is based on, you know, four patients who had samples taken in Wuhan under suspicious circumstances, and they never even identified the, the virus. They identified fragments of DNA or RNA, which he said, by the way, uh, very similar fragments of DNA or RNA can be uh, shed or can be found in numerous disease processes, you know, be they cancers or other mm. things like that. Uh, that's just not true. Um, but he said, you know, we basically, we've never found the virus. All we have are these fragments of molecules that we're calling the virus, and we're, we've jumped onto this viral bandwagon. Now, that's not true. We do have the virus. We've grown the virus. We are testing vaccines on the virus. <laughs> you know, like, we have photos. We have electron microscopy photos of the virus. Um, there is no evidence that we do not have, um, that we've not identified a virus. That's a really big point. Mm. <laughs> you know, but he is just glossing over that, and then he builds his whole thing. But you can't have a conspiracy theory with no virus if you tell people the truth, which is that yeah, absolutely, we have it. Like it's it's an incredibly fundamental point, um, and people are being tricked by this kind of stuff, and it's super dangerous. So I think it's really good that YouTube and Vimeo and all those guys are starting to um, starting to filter some of the stuff that gets talked about. Um, again, freedom of speech is a complicated thing, but you know this guy is is deliberately lying to people. Yeah, I'm, uh, I am uh, with you in your detestment of all of this. Um, mm. Anyway, I, th mm. I think we've so we've, we've careful, gone people. on long enough about Mr. David Ike. Um, I think we probably will we'll leave it there. We've gone yeah. a, a shade over seventy minutes here, I think. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I think we'll, we, as of the next episode, we are going to be known as Pseudo. And it's going to be, again, we're going to be mm -hmm. continually looking at things like conspiracies and, um, you know, miss, you know, incorrect beliefs around um, scientific things. So pseudoscience, health stuff, probably largely COVID related over the next little while as well, considering that's all anyone gives a shit about. Uh, but yeah, if you if you like what we do, you can find us on all the platforms. If you look up Pseudo Podcast, you'll probably find us somewhere in the ether at the moment. Um, but yeah, that's been great. It's been me, Justin Zeltzer. Super. Well, and do Justin I think, I, Bobbin. And me, Justin Bobbin. And I think this worked out pretty well. I guess we'll see how it all comes together when you uh, when you do your splice. Splice it up. Uh, any final remarks? Nope. Okay, it's been it's been real, guys. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll catch you next time.
are you a man? Would you say you're a man that's going his own way? Is this a, uh, a Fleetwood Mac thing? No, it's very much not. But okay, uh, am I going my own way? Yeah, I'm. I'm trapping you here. So just answer the question. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, I'm probably not going my own okay, way. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, have you had you heard of have you heard of MGTOW? M G T O W. It's it's basically no. a movement called men going their own way, which is no, I, no, no. It's basic. Okay, so it's it's kind of like the a separate movement on the side of the men's rights movements and all this kind of bullshit, and uh, uh-huh. they're just so as it's, like it's men's rights associate, men's rights adjacent. associate, um, adjacent. Yeah, and the gist is they're kind of like they're saying they're anti-feminist and they want to separate themselves from society um, that they see as harmful to men and particularly to eschew marriage and cohabitation. So they're basically like, chicks suck, we're out. We're out, we're going our own way. Um, Right. Uh, So how does that differ from the like... Okay, so I guess it's not like the incel movement because they're they very much re- themselves just back off. They're like, we don't, we, we're not in for this. That's this right. Is too much. Y- yeah, they're not. They wouldn't be incel. They would be volcel, pretty much, right? Yeah. They'd yeah. be like, nah, we're, yeah. we're not even. We're not trying anymore, man, because we don't want that shit. Are uh, they just the clergy? Wow, wow. Right. Yeah, man. Right. My cousin. Did who's, you get my? My cousin. Did you get my message? Well, yeah, your cousin, dude. Yeah, my cousin, who's a monk in in Greece. Um, yeah. He, I guess, has got a pledge, a sort of more pious pledge, to uh, just hang around dudes all the time. I mean, there's other things involved, <laughs> yeah. but but that's basically it. Um, and yeah. I guess he's he's a MGTOW without really meaning to be. Uh, Did I, you get my text about George Pell, the other day? No. Uh, what, Go what back through we... your messages. Okay. Why don't you just tell me? <laughs> tell, tell. Okay. Well, I guess we can, we can always edit it out if it's inappropriate. Um, so, because you know that George Pell was recently, I guess, um, uh, acquitted, yep. right? Yep. Of, of the charges. Yeah. And he's now free and wandering around. He's back in, he's <laughs> George Pell too, back in the habit. <laughs> and right, he, uh, <laughs> that's really good. Oh, well, I, no, I, I definitely just, didn't get that from you because I would have fucking loved that. No, yeah, no, that that one I just made up. But I was thinking.